0: You're listening to Mission Lab. Mission Lab from our living new man, Ben Green. Here's our parents, Sean and Camille Brace. hello everyone welcome back to Mission Lab. This is approximately episode 83 ish. It's been since November I was just looking since I last released an episode but I have a guest today <laughs> on the show and this is this is history because you, my dear friend Jim are the first person to ever be back on the show a second time. whoa history
1: I, I am honored. History. History was my major in college for I there the, first, the first semester ironically so <laughs> but it didn't last
0: yes that other voice that is with me here on the show is of course my very very good Jim Mello and uh, I'm glad that he has agreed to come back on with me because there's been uh, some I don't know some ideas that have been stirring in my mind for a little while and this one is this one's a little bit um, a little maybe farther afield than the typical fair of mission, community, discipleship. I think we're going to be able to bring it back into that. That's my hope. But um, ironically, I was looking at the last episode we released, and it's not entirely uh, unrelated to that one. The last one was on dogmatism, hmm. functional and it, pluralism. And, it, and its discontents. That's right. So uh, today we're going to talk about, and by the way, Jim, just give a little brief sketch of who you are again for our audience. Although, although, before we get there, ladies and gentlemen, Jim Mello is wedded now. That's right. That's right. That's right. Yeah, just yeah. got married on December twenty yeah. fourth. December twenty fourth, twenty nineteen. Alice. That's right. Yeah. All right. So, so you're you're married. Your wonderful wife, Alice. And just, again, very briefly, what is it? Who are you?
1: Uh, yeah, I'm Jim Mello. I'm uh, an aging hippie. Okay, boomer. I'm an okay <laughs> boomer. I'm an aging boomer. Um, I work uh, as a pastor, uh, as a part-time pastor in a Methodist church system. I also work um, as a clinical supervisor slash licensed alcohol and drug counselor in the addiction field. And it, it is the cross-section of those two things that really uh, come together in today's discussion. Mm-hmm. I have a Master's of Art in Theology from Bangor Theological Seminary, and I did my Master's project on trying to integrate spirituality into recovery. Mm-hmm. I'm a long, person in long-term recovery. Amen. I'm a percussionist. Yes. And a poet. And a poet. Published, and you know it. Published poet. I do yeah. not. Yeah. So those are a few things. I'm a father, grandfather, mm-hmm. and... Uh, uh-huh. Survivor. <laughs> yeah, I am actually a trauma survivor. Yeah. So we don't yeah. want to forget all those things no, come together. No,
0: no. And you, I would call you, even though you know, you don't have the official paper, you're a member of our Seventh day Adventist community. Okay. Well, yeah, thank just, you. That's yeah. not the least, uh, yeah. least of the Papers whole
1: thing. Papers never have been that important to me.
0: <laughs> so Jim and I, we <laughs> have the privilege and the joy of similarly. Um, having the remarkable ability to fly by the seat of our pants. Yep. Which is what this episode might feel like. I don't know, maybe it's not the ability, maybe it's the, or the uh, attempt. But well, yeah, it's the, the attempt. ability to try. Yeah, yeah, the try. So so we're, we're 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 gonna broad we're gonna you know try to um you know touch on some important topics that I've been thinking about lately. And I'm gonna introduce it by this way. Jim, there's a phrase that every once in a while you will bring up, you know, we're talking, we visit, Jim and I talk, we visit every week. Um, and, you know, we're comparing notes, we're talking about church, we're talking about ministry, we're talking about recovery. And there's a term that you use that is intriguing to me. I never heard it outside of you using it. I don't know if you've coined it or it's something. Could be the poet. Yeah, it could be the poet, But it's the term religious addiction. Huh. Religious addiction. How... I mean, what is that? And is that a bad thing? Is it a good thing? I mean, isn't it good to be addicted to religion or to God or to spirituality or what? What do you mean by that?
1: I don't think I coined the phrase, but um, not a lot of people use it that I'm mindful of. And, And that's, I think, you know, because of working in the addiction field and the addiction to me, Addictions are not healthy because they're out of balance and an addiction is uh, you know We can be addicted to food for example, mm-hmm. so we can't not have food But when we use a substance or a behavior of any kind uh, To block the processing of pain and grief mm, for me, Okay, that's an essential element. Yeah, uh, then it can become Addictive now it can become just problematic, but it becomes addictive when it's done unconscious automatically causes problems uh, that we deny and and uh, continue the behavior even though there have been negative consequences. Mm-hmm. So religion can be that sometimes okay. uh, mm-hmm. because we're always all in pain all the time or some of the time. Mm-hmm. And so to, it's and so religious addiction is the use of religious behaviors, rituals, or activities uh, that we use as a defense against. Dealing with the real gut stuff that's going on.
0: Ah, okay. So, so you say rituals, activities. I can't remember the other term you use, but along those lines. So, like, what's what's an? How how would you know? Like, sometimes you know, maybe I just like going through the rituals, and they're not like. So it's it's a matter of. I think if they're done compulsively,
1: if they're done, uh, if we if we don't know our feeling state. Mm-hmm. And we're doing them automatically on autopilot, mm-hmm. and there really are distressing things go on. So, like, like for example, prayer. Mm-hmm. You, you know, we can do a lot of surface praying. We can do a lot of codependent praying for other people mm-hmm. uh, while we're sitting there, we're perhaps in our own pain, mm-hmm. but not taking the pain and using that as the springboard for what I talk to God about. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it's that kind of thing. Okay. It's you know, in any going to church, we can go. Uh, and be there, but not be fully present. Mm-hmm. Uh, we can, if you know, something is said in the message that stirs us up inside, and we dismiss it, just to kind of be present again. Those those yeah. kind of things. Yeah. Okay. Uh, just off the top of my
0: head. Yeah. So, so in a sense, like we can be—is it possible to be addicted to God? Whew. <laughs> Or Jesus. Lord, have mercy on me. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, yeah,
1: I think so. I mean, in, in, again, in the sense that if we are not, and, and you know, I'm an INFP, so the feeling part of me, is a Myers-Briggs person, mm-hmm. feeling part of me, if we are not connected uh, uh, authentically with how we're feeling, uh, then yes, we can. I believe, you know, we okay. can use God as, as a um, substance almost, mm-hmm. rather yeah. than as a personal mm-hmm. being. Who we are truly being vulnerable with mm-hmm. to, to kind of grab yeah. onto some the vulnerability theme that's yeah. floating around.
0: So, so, so similarly, and maybe this is the same thing, but different terminology. But that would it be possible to be like have a codependent relationship with God, or Jesus, or yeah, you know, I, I, and, absolutely. And, and what, I what does so. that mean? What does yeah. that look like? Yeah,
1: well, you know, and again, in the addiction field, which in the '90s, I uh, haven't been in the field for a while. You know, after people got chemical dependency down pretty good as a, as a disorder, uh, people started to understand that, that it being in relationship with somebody who had, a, you know, an addiction, a disorder of a substance, especially at the, in those days, um, is in relationship with them, uh, trying to fix them, mm-hmm. uh, doing behaviors that enable the behavior to continue, not being authentically honest with themselves, focusing on the other person's behavior to the be, uh, To the uh, not focusing on their own Mm -hmm. uh, pain, usually again, Mm -hmm. or behaviors, what they need to change. Uh, So it's it's that focus on someone else to make ourselves feel good. Um, Mm -hmm. Don't we
0: want to feel good though? I mean, isn't that part of religion?
1: It's part of life. I mean, the older I get and the more I go down the road, it's all about mood alteration. Mm. You know, we all need to alter our mood. Uh, it, it's a painful planet, mm-hmm. uh, but it's what we do to alter it, how mindful we are of of what we do when we alter it, and whether or not the alteration is blocking other kind of feelings that we mm-hmm. should be processing instead of burying beneath mm-hmm. the thing. And so in, in you know religious codependency a, It's the focusing on someone else's spiritual life instead Mm -hmm. of my own, Mm -hmm. uh, because my own is where it needs to be. And I think with God, we can be codependent when we are only focused on praying for others, for example, Mm -hmm. uh, which is a good thing. Mm -hmm. I believe in intercessory prayer. But praying for others to the point where we're not praying authentically, integratively for what we're really feeling and going Mm -hmm. through. You know, like Jesus at Gethsemane is not... A codependent you know he was just the pain was there mm-hmm. he laid it out you know my god my god why are they why are thou forsaking me mm-hmm. when that that was the heaviness of the world's grief on him yeah uh and he could have blocked that and you know going up in the desert and had other behaviors <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah yeah uh so um so there so there's a sense in which um maybe my religious codependence, my religious addiction can, be, um, can manifest itself also in busyness, like, like religion being activity.
1: Sure, sure, yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, uh, doing all kinds of religious activities, but perhaps not taking care of yourself. You know, I think of myself in, in the or role in the past, You know, being you know, you you know, it's a danger as a pastor, Mm -hmm. and you know, to be so involved in your religious calling that perhaps a you're not taking care of yourself, body, mind, spirit. You're not taking care of your family. Sometimes, Mm -hmm. you know, it's always because the calling for religious activity is more important than we than our Mm -hmm. call to our family. Sometimes, Mm -hmm. I think that's where I got caught up. Mm -hmm. Certainly, looking at that, Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. That, well, you know, so-and-so needs me because they're having a spiritual struggle yeah. and overworking uh, and, and to the point where not tending to other things that yeah, keep like me in balance.
0: not doing self-care. Yeah. yeah. Now, right. so talk to me. I'm listening to this and I'm like, this is kind of just a bunch of, this guy's just talking about feelings and I don't, <laughs> what do we talk about feelings for? Like, what, Like, I don't have pain. Would that well, be an indication that maybe there's some religious addiction?
1: Well, sure. I mean, I, 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 you know, I, I think uh, it's interesting to me as I've uh, you know, gone down the road that uh, when you look at Genesis chapter 3, so equating pain or connecting it with trauma, uh, and trauma is when something is so stressful in our lives that the normal ways of coping don't work. Mm-hmm. And again, that could be religious activity, mm-hmm. but it's overwhelming. Um, and 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 so the those symptoms are in Genesis three, mm. you know, mm-hmm. uh, where the pain of separation is going on, uh, but and who you know blaming starts to go mm-hmm. on, mm-hmm. and it's a it's a pushing away from the, from the pain mm-hmm. and the trauma. Yeah. And so yeah.
0: So so you you and I have sat in classes before. We'll leave it in general terms, and we've left, and you've said that. The conversation was just all up here in the head, and you said that's because it's safer for people to have theological debates or theological discussions, doctrinal discussions. I mean, we need theology. You love theology, so. But what do you mean it's safer for a lot of people? And and, and, you know, you sit in the average class in the in the Christian church, and it's just all up here in the head. Yeah.
1: Exactly, you know, we're we're taking a look at fine points of theology, which you know I am a theologian. I love theology, um, but it's the practical theology. It's the application mm-hmm. of that in the real world. You know, Jesus came, and you know he he, he was a healer. What was he healing?
0: Mm-hmm. You know,
1: trying to heal the, the brokenness of, of life's physical brokenness, emotional brokenness, spiritual brokenness, and the pain that goes along with that. Um, so, it, so it's safer to talk about. All the ramifications of uh, theological doctrine mm-hmm. than it is to say, you know, um, that I'm hurting today. Mm-hmm. That I feel <laughs> I feel depressed. That the world's got me down. Uh, it's just it's safer. Yeah. Why? Um, because it avoids the emotional <laughs> <laughs> You know, avoids the emotional depths. I mean, this this is gets tricky within the religious world because, you know, when it's out of balance, I think you know people are. Are, uh, are not addressing, you know, the, those kind of feelings. Now, it can't get out of balance the other way. People mm-hmm. can be so focused always on their woundedness, and I, I can fall into that, that they're not uh, balanced in other ways. Mm-hmm. So, this is all about a quest for balance, I
0: think. And everybody is wounded. <laughs> to state you know, the to, obvious. Can I
1: quote James Jim Morrison of the Doors? Nobody, <laughs> nobody gets out of here alive. Yeah. You know. I mean, yeah. I don't know. Uh, I don't know a soul that's not been battered I don't have a friend who feels that he's a Paul Simon lyric mm, mm. and the other thing is I'm a disc jockey <laughs> at, at a Kobe Col- College radio yeah.
0: yeah so maybe as a kind of as a part of this religious addiction piece and codependence is something else that you know I've been thinking a lot about and that is black and white thinking and what's uh, what's like, what's wrong with black and white thinking? How does it get us into trouble? It, aren't there black and whites? There
1: aren't. You know, the, yeah, that's a struggle. I'm, you know, and I probably am in deeper into gray than I should be sometimes. <laughs> including but, your hair. Yeah, that's right, <laughs> including my hair. Um, there are black and white things, but they, they don't always fit the human condition mm. in a black and white kind of way. But mm-hmm. there, are, you know, there are human elements that always complicate the black and white teachings, if you will. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I, th- I think it gets us in trouble because it helps us, again, to feel safer. Sometimes black and white thinking, I think where it's pain comes for other people is when we are so clear that this is right and wrong, and um, we try to f- apply it to somebody else's life, not knowing the dynamics mm-hmm. of what's mm-hmm. going on, the history Behind the behavior, Mm -hmm. and most of our behavior has some kind of reason Mm -hmm. behind it. If it's to protect ourselves, Mm -hmm. I think. Mm -hmm. Um, So, what black and white thinking can do again is is when it's used against other people, that's what that's where spiritual abuse comes in.
0: Okay. Yeah. Talk to me about that. Yeah.
1: Well, you know, I wanted to make sure I mention that. You know, I came across this subject from the subtle power of spiritual abuse. Jeff Van Vonderen is one of the authors. There's a second Jeff Wood or something. Um, but the basic definition was when somebody comes to you as a spiritual representative um, and wanting support to move through something, and you become dogmatic and and uh, unsympathetic to who they are, mm-hmm. and you make the religious activity more important than the person. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If you will, mm-hmm. and and in the name of religion, I think mm-hmm. that's probably what a lot of people in our culture suffer from,
0: mm-hmm. and why yeah. we we find ourselves in increasingly post-Christian.
1: Yes, absolutely. I'm quite context. Convinced of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and I'm, I hate to say this has been one of my frustrations, but you know, as a therapist, therapy therapists are tra- trained to tune into this very stuff mm-hmm. that often the church doesn't take account of. Mm-hmm. And I think that there's a blending of the two.
0: Yeah. So, but for me, like you kind of touched on it, it's a little scary because I feel like my foundation is unsettled if I don't have those absolutes and those, again, there are absolutes. We're not denying that. Please don't listen to this and say, oh man. Hold your calls. Yeah. Hold your calls. Sean Brace, you know, is this postmodern, you know? All relativists and all that. But with that being said, there's lots that is gray. And even the absolutes need to be applied in a compassionate, sympathetic way. Yeah, I I think that's a good... But but it feels unsettling, right? It is unsettling. So so how do I get my feet underneath me again if what I was kind of putting my foundation on were these clear-cut black and white... You know, well, let, let me absolutes. let me.
1: This is we talked just before we came yeah. on about the stages of faith, and this is I think where mm-hmm. stages of faith comes. And, yeah, you know I'm gonna there's two of models of it, but I'm gonna talk about one for a second, which comes from uh, M. Scott Peck, and this I can't now remember perfectly, but he talks about there you know the stages of faith, a skepticism when we kind of believe, start to believe, then dogmatism. Mm-hmm. And then after that is a more mature faith, and then his fourth stage would be a mystical faith, which is where you. <laughs> oh boy! I know. I know. I know. I know. I know. Jim, we don't want to use yeah, that M word. <laughs> I know, but w- which essentially is the belief that you can be one with God, and I think in the Christian tradition we we really do believe that we mm-hmm. you know, that we can. Not in a pantheistic. way. Not in a pantheistic way, way mm-hmm. and not in a. Uh, um, ex- High emotional state mm-hmm. or visionary state. I mean, there are extremes of all of these things, but that we can be blended with God through through the Holy Spirit, mm-hmm. and 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 I think that's it. That's the general idea. It's mystical, um, but it's that dogmatic place we get that you know I'm mm-hmm. I know, and the dogmatism is based on true teaching, but it just doesn't fit the life situation. Mm-hmm. I don't know how else to say it. I remember take, yeah. take, taking a class in the counseling field when I was new Christian, and everything I was saying in class was, you know, like the four spiritual laws. And the teacher finally said to me, "He says, why are you so compulsive about that?" Huh. Yeah. Yeah. It took me a while to believe he was on target, <laughs> uh, because I wasn't looking at all the
0: kind yeah. of factors. But, but isn't this basically the stages of development?
1: Well, they I, yeah, are. Yeah, I mean, there. The, you know, one model, uh, James Fowler's model, it really is on Eric Erickson's six stages mm-hmm. of, de- of human development, which mm-hmm. I am currently at the generative stage, uh, and I think that there, we do as we. Go into different developmental stages as humans. We do look at faith differently and mm-hmm. the, the world differently. Mm-hmm. I think if so, we mature, less black and
0: white. So, so if somebody in their faith is very dogmatic and black and white, that might actually be an indication that they're they have they have stalled in their development.
1: Yeah, I think that's a that is a good mm-hmm. way to look at it. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm much more gray now than I used to be. I get scared that I'm too gray. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, as I mature and realize that, you know, I think for me, the realization is just because I am a believer all these years doesn't mean my humanity, um, my weaknesses mm-hmm. don't keep cropping up. And again, you don't have holy flesh yet. <laughs> I do not have holy flesh. No. I yeah. Don't. <laughs> yeah.
0: Right. Yeah. So, like, I used to think that spiritual maturity meant that you were black and white. The more you yeah. are committed to God, the more things are going to be, you know, clear. And I've come to realize that it's just the opposite. Yeah. Right. Now, with mm-hmm. that being said, I'm learning. I've just been thinking about this last few days. I'm learning to be compassionate to my former self huh. because I look back at my younger self and I think, oh, what a what a um, miserable, you know, and it's almost like a, a, a reason for embarrassment. Sure. Right? Shame. Shame. But I realize that when I look back at my, third grade self Uh, right i'm not like oh what an idiot you only knew how to do addition right and and not multiplication like that was an appropriate development right Right. so like all of us if we are truly i think brought into faith it is necessary for us to be in that stage of black and white at some point a, right because yeah, we learn the fundamentals yeah
1: yeah i think that's yeah, yeah. The, the you know dogmatism is a, is an, it's a necessary place to pass through but if mm-hmm. we don't pass through it i think we're in trouble yeah and uh, you know each stage of development has a task uh and it's if we don't reach that mm-hmm. task that's when we kind of get
0: stuck Do you think, uh, this is a little bit of a curveball here for you, but do you think that, because I've been going through Scripture 90 days, get the big picture. That's right. Do you think that we see this in Scripture? that Because, you know, I've been reading the Old Testament right now. Some crazy stuff in there. It's very black and white. It's very black and white dogmatic. Mm -hmm. But do you think that that was kind of the, the stage of development that God had to bring people through, and then we come to Jesus, and then there's this I do, oneness with the Father, right? I personally do. I Father, personally right? do. Yeah. Uh,
1: yeah, yeah, I personally do. I mean, yeah, I was just looking at that myself the other day, reading the, uh, reading the Sermon on the Mount and realizing, hey, first of all, nobody's living up to this, mm-hmm. uh, and how radical it really is, mm-hmm. and how it contradicts some of what happened in, in the Hebrew Scriptures, mm-hmm. some of the way of looking at it. So, yeah, and, you know, reading through Isaiah, um, and there's some really hard stuff that comes through, but in the middle of that is always this. But I will forgive you. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I can yeah, re- redirect yeah. you, and I think it's the yeah. grace.
0: But but the but but it, the God's people, they needed things in their development. In I, yeah,
1: I think at some level too. But I think God needed it in the plan of salvation. Yeah, yeah. That until, um until Christ came. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know until Christ came and fulfilled what he was here to do, soteriologically, uh, mm-hmm. um, that that it was necessary. It was, you know, it's gonna, Paul calls it the school teacher. Yeah. That it was a
0: necessary... Well, that, mm, I don't know. I don't know. Okay. I don't know. I think that if the people had been at a place... No, yeah, if they had been at a place where they could handle it, Things could have been different. But you
1: know, absolutely. I think so. You know, at each stage, I think grace could have triumphed, but mm-hmm. it, it didn't. But you know, going back to looking at some of that in the light of what we've been talking about, you know, I mean, there's some of the warnings in the prophets about you know, you, you do your sacrifice, you do the religious activities, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. nothing's changing inside. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that's that's what we're talking about here. Yeah. You know, the, the, the rituals were God ordained. The the, the uh, Spiritual practices that we do now are ordained of, of God, and, mm-hmm. and yet we can do them on mm-hmm. autopilot. But
0: even here, okay, I'm going to throw this in there. I read a quote recently in, I think it was the book Education.
1: I've just been reading from that By myself. Ellen White, yeah.
0: and she said that it, it was not God's original intent to have the sanctuary they needed it because they were used to having in Egypt gods oh. represented to them in form, and so God met them where they were in their weakness. And so, anyway, you know, not to say that that settles everything, but you know, it's just an interesting thought to me that, like,
1: and so what does that say to our generation? We'll talk about that. Oh, well,
0: right. go, go, go. Yeah, ahead. No,
1: I mean, I think you know what again, that's the tension between the culture that the mm. You know, God reveals Himself in, mm-hmm. uh, and and then mm-hmm. as the cultures change, mm-hmm. uh, the way of perceiving all of this shifts. Mm-hmm. And and mm-hmm. I think that's one of the problems, you know, here in Maine, uh, with aging congregations is is the culture has shifted so much mm-hmm. uh, that the church hasn't been able to keep, keep up with it in some ways. In some healthy spiritual ways, it's mm-hmm. that's the challenge. I and mean, we're both mm-hmm. in the middle of that as pastors. Mm-hmm. It's it's yeah. not easy. Because you you have f- fear of of losing what's dogmatically true, if you will, mm-hmm. uh, at the same time you've got a whole generation that you know yeah. doesn't even read it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah no, that's an yeah. exaggeration, yeah, yeah yeah yeah,
0: so um so how does all this uh relate to discipleship to mission to community, um you know, trying to tie it in with that a little bit, um, this is just like nice thoughts about personal development, self-help, but, you know, is that all this is, or how do we connect it?
1: Well, I, I think that uh, goes to the issue of community. We can do it as self-help, but we can do it as communal help. Mm. You know, but mm. even self-help groups, I mean, we get, can go to the self-help section of bookstores, if they still exist, <laughs> um, to, to get stuff for ourselves. But in the, you know, the 12-step world, Um, you don't do recovery just alone you do it also Mm -hmm. in community Mm -hmm. and you know I just and for me the 12 steps the principles of the 12 steps are instrumental here they for me are very harmonized with biblical teaching Mm -hmm. um And, you know, my famous quoting on the fourth step, you know, taking, searching, and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. That's the protection against the codependency, taking Mm -hmm. it for myself Mm -hmm. instead of just the moral inventory of other people.
0: Because you talk about this a lot. So let's pause there for a second. Say that again. Talk about it again. Fourth step. You say, you know, what the church needs is the fourth step.
1: Yeah, I believe that. You know, again, for people who are not familiar with the 12 steps uh, and this big debate about all of that. But the fourth step... Uh, you know, the first step leads you to look at w- what you're powerless over in your life, mm-hmm. and what I- in that powerlessness has led you to unmanageability. Again, it could be religious activity. Mm-hmm more often than not substances or other behaviors. And it takes you to, you know, through reaching out to a power greater than yourselves, you know, giving your life and will over the care of God, as you understand. And then when that process is in place, so we're looking at moving from the skepticism to dogmatism. Mm-hmm. But then the third phase is to take a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Mm-hmm. And, and that means... Uh, you know and there are books and journals and all kinds of ways to do that. That means looking inside ourselves, mm-hmm. and that's where the church gets scared, mm. and you know feels like we're getting too self-centered.
0: And part of it, the big issue is we we like to take a moral inventory, but who are we?
1: Usually everybody around <laughs> us, you know, because that makes us feel better. You know, John Bradshaw...
0: not uh, not of uh it is written right right of shame and
1: addiction um in the 90s um you know it's it's oh you lost my thought there but
0: uh, (laughs) you said john bradshaw of we take a moral inventory of other people um, where were you going because he's
1: saying because then we can feel better about ourselves if we feel morally superior to other people okay
0: okay yeah 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 why does it how does that work
1: well, because, you know, again, if there are dramatic things, don't do this, don't do that, and I don't do them and you do, mm-hmm. then that must make me better than you and,
0: mm-hmm. you know,
1: better with Nobody
0: God. actually thinks this, though. <laughs> I mean, I'm saying that kind of facetiously, but like...
1: I think it's more unconscious.
0: Yeah, so... I think it's more So someone's listening to this and I say, oh, good, you're not talking about me.
1: <laughs> we are talking about everybody. <laughs> I'm talking about all so of how,
0: how, if So if how do I ever get to that place where I say, oh... This is me. Maybe I'm doing this. Well,
1: um, I don't know. And, and there's this. You know, when we look at scripture, and it it, it convicts us of something. That's mm-hmm. that's where we have to, uh, you know, take an inventory. Mm-hmm. Um, in you know, in twelve step literature, there are again ways to to, to do it. I mm-hmm. think it's the process of sanctification, theologically, which is the ongoing growth and development mm-hmm. spiritually. And I think you know. For for me, what happens is if we don't do it holistically, you know, it's body, mind, and spirit, and mind, emotion. I would make, and if we're not looking at all those dimensions of ourselves, then we're going to get out of balance. Mm-hmm.
0: I think. But part of the problem is it needs to be safe enough for me to do that <clears throat> moral inventory, right?
1: Yeah, and, and and you know, I mean, this may sound strange to some people. But it's safe within ourselves, even mm-hmm. it's safe enough because you know. Of our own pain, not wanting to look or feel that, it's because it's not safe in ourselves. It can cause us distorted thinking, distorted behavior, mm-hmm. painful thinking. Uh, so yeah, yeah. yeah. And but so safety is, to me, uh, uh, the bomb in
0: Gilead. Mm-hmm. That's, I think, that's a lot of what it all comes down to. Is. What do
1: you mean by safety? When, when you think of them. um and played out I'm interviewing in, you, Jim. I know, <laughs> I
0: know. No, I think in this context, I'm talking about <laughs> when I look inside myself, it's too, I, I get too much shame. Yeah. Right. And guilt. And guilt. And then I start feeling like I'm not like I'm unlovable, uh-huh. that God is pulling away from me or he, he's upset with me. And I was actually going to say that before. That I think that's one of the biggest Manifestations of religious codependence with God. God is when we're trying to make Him happy because we perceive that He is, you know, angry at us, or right. we need to appease he Him. Right. Needs to be placated. He needs to be so. placated. That right. I think, right. and probably that's more unconscious for a lot of us as yeah. well. Yeah. Um. Yeah. And you know, again, there's
1: role models in the scripture for. Yeah. For that. Yeah. But it's, but you know, but God's call is always to come to Him personally, and I mm-hmm. think that's that's the antidote for all of it is to take that shame and guilt you know And it's a good point you know we talk about feeling safe within ourselves or feeling safe with other people but also feeling safe with god mm-hmm. and if our picture of god is one that he's more angry than not mm-hmm. more displeased than not then we might not actually share some of that with god and mm-hmm. i think that's where it really breaks down mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. that's where the bomb is
0: yeah. mm-hmm. so it might be oversimplification but i i do believe that the answer is the gospel I mean, maybe that sounds like a religiously addicting, (laughs) addictive response. It could be if you don't define it. Yeah, yeah. The good news of my belovedness in the eyes of Jesus, that he values me. I
1: just preached on it yesterday, if I could, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, when Jesus got baptized and he heard the voice saying, you know, Mm -hmm. my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased, or in whom I find happiness. Mm -hmm. And and, uh, that's... The message—it's you know God already is pleased with us. Mm-hmm. Uh, wants to—he wants to take us to, uh, you know, the healing elements of that, and and um, it's easy for us to feel the displeasure in ourselves, or and we do displease God. We don't want to say that when we yeah and we there's... do. But if we stop at the displeasure mm-hmm. and beat ourselves up over that, mm-hmm. then we're not we're not stepping into the good news, yeah. which is yes there's medicine for that
0: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know there is medicine for it yeah i mean this could open up a whole different avenue of conversation but yeah i think it is important as well we do realize that god's his his perspective is dynamic it's not as though everything we do god's always like yeah good job you know Um, but as you say he doesn't stay there and His overarching attitude towards us is that of favor and love and compassion, sympathy. Not
1: even his discipline is motivated out of love, Mm -hmm. and that's the hard thing to Mm -hmm. take sometimes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah.
0: Well, anything else here before we sign off? Did we? Did I? Did we cover all the bases that I kind of said we want to cover?
1: We did do that.
0: Did uh, you have anything else? Uh, just
1: flip it around. Do you feel we covered them sufficiently I think so. yeah. for what you were hoping to Yeah, I think so.
0: Um, you know, again, yeah. I think the thing
1: is that, that we're, if this is challenging as for people who are hearing, it, it's. Uh, uh, Important to be just gentle with us,
0: you know, uh, Mm -hmm. and gentle with themselves, Mm -hmm. and,
1: and, you know, be kind to yourself. Andrew Peterson, be kind to
0: yourself. Yeah. And so maybe, maybe one last crack at it. What do you say to the person listening who says, I thought our task was to preach the gospel and not get Wrapped up in these feelings and these, you know, maybe that's fine that you're there, Jim, but not everybody has to, you know, you're a what do you say INFp, NFP. and we're Enneagram fours, both of us. Yeah, right. Uh, so, like, don't be assuming that everybody else has this deep emotional, you know, these issues or this pain or they need to feel all these things. Um, what do you say to that person in closing? I know we've kind of tackled this already, but go ahead, one more crack at it.
1: Well, well I, one word I would say, Gethsemane, mm-hmm. uh, and um, you know, the, the, the. I think there are degrees. Not everybody has this thing, know, I'm a melancholy on top of it. It's just a <laughs> miserable way to live, but it's the only, it's the only
0: way to live. You wouldn't have it any other way, right? <laughs> you
1: have it any other way, <laughs> right? Right, but. Uh, But, you know, I I just think people need to put a check on themselves in the sense of how are they impacting other people Mm -hmm. uh, and and being in tune with those who are perhaps more feelings oriented, uh, but also to mm, stay open, to let the spirit touch them, Mm -hmm. I guess. I don't know how Mm. that's a tough question to just answer off the top of my head. Mm
0: Yeah, I mean, I put it this way recently and there's supposed to be an article at some point being published by the Adventist Review on this that as I understand scripture, um, sanctification, growth in Christ-likeness is the process of becoming more and more emotionally safe and available for others. Also, i.e. being more having more empathy, greater degrees of empathy for people. And um, I think there's a lot of people, I think I would have been in this category 10 years ago who didn't realize there was all this stuff going on down inside of me. And, um, you know, when you get in touch with those feelings, you're going to experience greater depths of sadness, but also Greater heights of joy and happiness. And, you know, God created us as emotional, social, relational creatures that He wants us to experience feelings deeply. Um, And so the more that we can understand ourselves, the more we can be available and sympathetic to others.
1: Absolutely. Yeah.
0: Yeah. All right. Well, Jim, thank you once again for being on the show with us. Well, it's a
1: blessing. Hopefully it's a blessing to others Yeah, as well.
0: it has been to me. And we'll uh, look forward whenever down the road I happen to pump out another episode. And uh, thanks for tuning in. And we'll talk to you again in the near future. Until then, this has been Mission Lab. Thanks for tuning in. Have a great one. We have to do poetry someday. Yes, next time, maybe. Thanks, guys. Talk to you soon. Thank you for listening to Mission Lab. Our theme song is Portland Hike by Tiny Music. Additional editing by Chris Ergang. Follow us on Twitter at MLabPodcast.